So, GJ, I'm just going to throw it out there. 2012 Brownlow medalist. Prediction correct. Ah, oh, yeah. Four, year, four and a half years too late, but booyah. I called it. Yes. I think the only person who's, who has a right to be... Uh, Proud slash pissed about the delays my sister who actually had money on Oh no, did she keep the ticket? No. <laughs> yes, no, but I do remember getting a text message from you about two years ago saying, oh, just listening back to this old episode, you could be proven right when Jab Watson gets stripped of his Brownlow medal. <laughs> and so it came to pass. But yes, and plus it, uh, you know, D- Damien Hardwick's got to be happy. It improves Trent Cotchin's trade value at the end of the season. So, tough stuff. Win-win. Well, he can say coach to Brownlow medalist now too. Yeah. Actually, there was a really good tweet um, uh, during the week, which is Damien Hardwick wants to take over the Australian test coaching position. Records the Aussie list is the best he's ever seen. <laughs> There's a little pre-season 2016 joke. Mm. Yes, ah, the Richmond Football Club. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I was there when we, we were shit. <laughs> Best t-shirt ever. Um, I'm still trying to find evidence of the internet of that t-shirt. Really? I can't find the photo of it anymore. Oh, we do yeah, know it was is. probably yeah, <laughs> scrubbed it from the net. Oh yeah, no, it, it really needs an edit now because they yeah. have to add a few extra years onto the end. Well, I think at the time it was 1983 to dash. No, I've seen a 25-years version of it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it was, I think it was 2008. Yeah, the 2008 edition. Not a good year for West Coast. Better for Hawthorne though. The start of the hangover. (laughs) Whoa. So, um, have we discussed Sam Mitchell moving yet? My only, only in a needling form. I'm heartbroken, man. I'm stoked. I know. Of course you fucking are. Uh, I'm stoked for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we get that brain as a coach yeah. at some point in time. Well, next year. Even as a well, playing coach in essence next year. Mm. We gave up absolutely nothing to get him. The equivalent of essentially once you did the downgrade picks about pick 70 something. Yeah, I think it was 78. That was a good tweet I read. It's like, wow, Hawthorne have got to be pissed. They could have got a pick for this in the 60s if they'd known he was a Brownlow medalist. (laughs) But um, I'm just heartbroken. I mean, and the worst thing was the universe decided to really pile on the pain. When it got announced, I walked into the kitchen at work that day as it was getting announced on ABC News the first thing I see is footage of him hugging Brad Sewell, my favourite ever AFL player, after the 2013 grand final that would have been. And I was just like, fuck right off, universe. You're killing me. It's it's a really sad... It's a really, really sad um, event for me. Sam Mitchell, from the very first Hawthorne game I saw live, which was... Who's who's that Hawthorne captain? Oh, that's Sam Mitchell. Jeez, he doesn't move his head when he runs, does he? <laughs> I enjoyed watching the stillness of his head for the next eight years. But just... Sorry, nine years. It would have been 07, I think, that we saw them. Just... I just can't help but thinking we have sold our soul to bring in a player who has not completed a game of AFL for the last two years. 
and has an injury that my physio described as highly unlikely to ever I mean, I, in, in the Hawthorne medical staff, we trust. Well, you're going to have to because you've yeah. sold the farm to get him. I know. Like, we've given away Brad Hill. We've given away two our first two draft picks. And we've given away... Well, Alistair Clarkson calls him the best player he's ever coached. Mm. We've given him away all to get in the Jager bomb. Now, long-time listeners... I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but would know I, I can't drink Jagermeister anymore because the only time I drank it... I was violently ill the next morning and it tasted exactly like Jaeger. So every time I even smell Jaeger now, I just flash back to the big vom. So it's, 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 it's not a good connection there for us to be bringing in the Jaeger bomb as our new um, messiah. But I just, I think, surely, oh, well, we, it... surely we could have got more for him, Jeez. Yeah, I... I was surely we could have got more. For I him. thought both him and Lewis. So I was a bit surprised. Oh, but Jordan Lewis is a fat cunt. Like Burgers Lewis, as we call him. These are the smaller turning circle than Jordan Lewis, a Mack truck in at number one. Like him, I'm I'm glad to see him him go. But I mean, I just feel like I I know it's he's not- old. I know he's got at. At absolute best, he's got two years left in him. But surely, a premiership captain who's won our best and fairest, I think it's three times, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah uh, surely he's worth more than a pick in the high 70s. The sellers, I mean, the problem was, was is that they were, they were known sellers because of all the other stuff that was going on. So well, that we, been... we wanted to be able to throw the kitchen sink at Jagerbomb. That was yeah. essentially what it was. Well, it was more that you were throwing money at Vickery, Mitchell and the Jagerbomb. So yeah. you, needed to, you needed to save money from somewhere. Thank you for bringing that up. Can I, can, can I be on the record here? And I know you, you'll play this back to haunt my ass when, we're, when, we're, when we finished 11th this season. Ty Vickery is a good pick-up for the Hawthorne Football Club. Yeah, I don't mind. I didn't mind that either. I can yeah, see the, that, I can that, see the I, reasons I, for that. I've been, like, I've been sent needling text messages from a couple of people saying, hey, so how about Tyrone, you know? Great pick-up and stuff like that. When the other options in the eligible Ruckman market right now are the, you know, the likes of the veritable shit stains of Zach Clark and Drew Petrie, I don't mind Ty Vickery at all. Can I explain? I... Apart, I mean, apart from the fact that Eagles fans hate him for his uh, punch on Dean Cox, but yeah, um, and that's understand. I'm not excusing that for no. a second. That was one of the most dog acts but, I've ever seen. But I just reckon. I just think that the, the thing about Vickery is, is that at Richmond they never actually settled him in a role. Yeah, and I mean, you know what he's going to be at Hawthorne. He's going to be the tall four that they kick to as their bailout option. Yeah, who will spend maybe fifteen, twenty percent time yeah. in the ruck. He's basically the David Hale of yeah. 2012 to 2014. Well, we got really good crummers, uh, Tyrone. Just get the ball to the ground. Yeah. I mean, did we keep Bruce in the end? You did. Yeah. Yes. So we've got Cyril, Bruce, and Wee Man, <laughs> Puopolo, as they call him, running around at his feet. And that was essentially, as I say, like that was the role that the Fivehead was playing for us <laughs> in two premiership seasons. Well, he actually won it in three, but it was it was probably more of a pure ruckman to begin with. But I mean, 
given the other options out there, given the fact that Seggles is out for a year with a knee injury, it's it's a good pickup for us. I was at the game against Collingwood um, last season where he absolutely destroyed them. He's a great set shot. Mm. I think he's 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 much maligned. He's a fan. He's a fan favorite whipping boy. But I think he's a really good pickup for us. Yeah, I, the only thing I'd say is you might have paid maybe a hundred k too much for him. But I can. Well, if we hadn't given it to him, we would have added another hundred k on the Jaeger's salary. So uh, you know, or you might have been stuck with Zach Clark. No, <laughs> oh, a fate worse than death, right there. How many music festivals do we have in Victoria, by the way? More in Dark. I just really... I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Ross Lyon got told that, like, in the words of the 12th man doing Daryl he's like, Jesus happened again! For the second year running, he's gone down south for a music festival and done his knee. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Ross Lyon got informed of that injury. Steam ears <laughs> coming out of. So, uh, in in conclusion, Mitch, I miss you. Please come back. <laughs> you get to be closer to Mitch now. Uh, only geographically, though. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're laughing at such a smug fuck right now. <laughs> you bastard. You're doing well, far too much. I mean... If Mitch gives us absolutely nothing on the field, which I highly doubt, for the record. Oh, and as you said, the the quote, uh, the best quote of this. In fact, I really should, I really should pull out my phone. I'm not going to pull it out and read it out, but it was basically along the lines of, "Can't wait for him to get stuck into our soft cop midfield." And it was like, "Yeah, fellas, here's the expectation around here." I think you're at the time you said. Luke Shuey likes this message. The rest of the West Coast midfield are shitting their pants right now. Because basically it's, all right, fellas, 100% effort week in, week out. Mm. And, no. um, you know, a, a bit of ticker. Yeah, no, <laughs> a bit more, of ticker. A bit more a line of harsh reality, guys. Hawthorne think you're shit. Oh! Oh, oh, burn, burn on you! He'd have to find Elliot Yo first before he could oh, give you that message. Yeah. He's hiding in one of the cabinets under Adam Simpson's desk, probably. Well, he got uh, lost sometime around the 2015 preliminary mm. final, and we haven't seen him since. Oh, there he is. There um, he is. Yo, bro. <laughs> so. I mean, shall we throw out a prediction for next season? Well, we did a mini prediction. I called the Bulldogs to miss the eight. That's right. And that's right. Yeah, I remember this now. I called GWS to finish second. Mm. Whatever happens. It'll be West Coast 1991, Fremantle 2013. Essentially, best team all season, overwhelmed on the the biggest stage of them all in AFL. But you, you refused to say who'd beat them. I did, and I'm I'm still not sure. Like a, a big part of me wants to say Sydney, mm. because I just think it's, Sydney, it's a, Sydney is safe money, really. Yeah, they? like it's I know, and it's an easy option. But to be honest, it's because a lot of the other teams that finished at the top this year, I just look at them and go, "Where's the upside?" Mm. Like Geelong, Sydney. 
Hawthorne, West Coast. I'd expect all of them to be in decline this year. Geelong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't see them going much better. I mean, Sydney they might embarrassed not go, them in the pre-league they might not go. They might not go better, but it's hard to... I mean, I, I would have thought that they'd probably stayed about the level. Well, that, well that's more my point. I, was, yeah. I, I don't see any upside for them this year. Yeah. They're not going to pick up another Brownlow medalist in the off-season. I, I don't see... No, they left that for us to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, shut up, Jamison. <laughs> I just can't see much upside for Geelong, West Coast, Hawthorne, or who well, the, other, the Doggies. Mm. Like, well, I mean, we, with Nick Nat out, we're... Yeah, it, I mean, if Nick Nat can get back and be the same player, which are two gigantic question marks... Oh, but he, he won't be back the, this year... He may be back later in the year, but I would oh, think that I they mean, probably yeah. wouldn't play him at all this yeah, year. Exa- well, you'd be why crazy you, to. Unle- unless be? you're sitting in the top two yeah. towards the end of the season, what what's the upside there? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I... Look, I can I make a call here too? Fremantle to finish fifth to eighth. And I think it, that'll mm. be purely on the back of... Soft, softer draw, yeah, and, ha- softer and, draw having... and they'll be they'll be uh, they'll be big at home this year, I think. Yeah. So I th- I think <sighs> assuming there aren't any more assault incidents. Well, in the see next that few weeks. that is the big one. I mean, Mitch. Uh, oh, Shane Yaron losing Shane Yaron, big big fears. I mean, if Ben was back next year, Yaron's probably not getting the game anyway. Mm. But um, getting that Fife back, yeah. I mean, if he's fit and raring to go. I think they'll be very tough to beat at home this year. I think everyone's everyone was far too bullish about them this season, and I think they're far too bearish about them for next season. Yeah, they're they're a bit. Um, I think they're the the two the two the two teams that I'm really expecting who finished outside the eight to to bubble up a bit more are, are going to be Fremantle and Melbourne. Melbourne, there we go. Without Paul Roos. Without Paul Roos. <laughs> um, I just think that the games, the games kind of veered more towards the way that a Melbourne play the game. Contested ball, win it on the inside, then get it out, which is kind of, you know... They've got that, that core of players from sort of 20 to 50 games who are yeah. just all... They're all sort of um, coming to the... Probably 20 to 70 yeah, slash yeah. 80. So, yeah, yeah but, Jack Viney being the leader of yeah. that group in essence, but yeah. So yeah, it's it's that group that I'm thinking about. It's your Petrarchas, your Olivers, your, your Hogan's, Viney, Hogan, yeah. um, you know the McDonald boys. I mean, Max Gorn should be primed for Max to have Gorn. an Australian uh, uh, ruckman year as well. Like there's there's a lot to like there. The biggest question is just mentally, are they up for it? <laughs> I, I think, think I and and I mean, yeah. you know, Paul Rees is coming for his post-retirement uh, three-year jaunt at the Melbourne Football Club. Mm. Uh, I think their biggest problem right now, and they've, they've shown signs of it. I mean, they did Hawthorne like a dinner late in the season last year. They've shown signs that's, that they're not the, going to be the perennial easy beats. And I mean, that's the thing. Of, that's why I say what I said is, is that I think that you'll find that you, when you're looking for things like that, you're looking for signs. Yeah. And you're looking for the growth and development of along the way. And that they've been kind of on that steady ascent. Yeah. And I think that I mean they they I mean to be honest, if they don't make the eight 
questions probably have to start being asked. So what the fuck were we doing with Paul Roos for three years? But <laughs> would yeah, you we, agree? He's got, got his money on Melbourne to finish top four next season, obviously. Well, so. I don't know if you go top four, but maybe top eight. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the other the other big question mark is, and this is one. I remember you, because I remember this saying this as one of my best ever predictions, or probably my best ever takes on the AFL, Ken Hinckley being underrated. What happens at Port Adelaide if they start the season slowly? Oh, he's gone. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Someone who impressed us so much, not just... Not just with his coaching, but just the way he presented himself, the way he interviews on radio, someone who understands the game so well. I feel like this is really a make or break season at Port Adelaide. The thing is, though, is that do you, are you overrating Hinkley or is it that we overrate Port's Twist? Well, they were a straight kick away from a granny, mate. I know, but I, I just wondered, maybe they just radically overachieved that year. I mean, and... You know, they, in reality, where they've been the last couple of years is more indicative of their true level. There seems to the me that, to be... It's a bit of the West Coast midfield again. It's like, where's the ticker? They, well, they, they're... I don't want to use the phrase soft cocks again, but you, you, there's... Where's the heart and soul of that club? Hmm. Like, where, where's the fight? Where's the passion? Where's the spirit? Where's the Matthew Pavlich from Fremantle... You know, where's that... I mean, Travis Boak is probably the closest they've got. Other than nah. that, there are... there are Ollie Wines. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a fair call. But there's 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 too much one-way so runners, I think, yeah. you used to call them. Daniel Skiers. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is, is that they're also very one-paced. They're, you know, that's that's why, you know, whenever Pollock and Matthew White aren't playing, they look slow. Yeah. And the thing is... The other thing that worries me about Port is, is that it, it's it's less relevant this year, but they've traded out of drafts to get Ryder and Dixon, and it's whilst you're bringing the the first thing is is that you're giving away the opportunity to get top end talent by trading first and second round picks yeah. away, and you're getting the same type of player. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, but I th- I really think it's make or break time for Port. Yeah, oh, I agree. And if I I mean let let's be honest. Three oh one, what five games this season? There, it wasn't many. Might have been four. Yeah, uh, four or five. No, because they beat the doggies in the last. I reckon it was five, but um, they beat the Premiership team, the Western Bulldogs. I think the fact that Port lost to them this season that that tells you everything you need to and know. And I mean that day, they just mentally checked out. Yeah, exactly, and that's my concern. And about I think them. that the thing is, is that. I think that Hamish Hartlett epitomises Port Adelaide. I believe. Fremantle won four games. Four. It was four, James. Yes. Um, I was pretty sure it was four. So. Okay. Um, Including a game against the Premiership team. Yeah. But like Hamish Hartlett is... In so th- what was it? Brisbane, Essendon, Port and um, and the Doggies? That would be yes. it. Yep. Um, Hamish Hartlett kind of epitomises Port Adelaide. Is that looks brilliant. When he's got the ball in yeah. his hand. It's a bit like the Australian nothing. middle order right now. They yeah. look great in a flat track. Yeah. Give them a pitch where the ball's actually doing something and... Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, trouble. Shall we jump into that now? We can, yes. Time. Good riddance, Rod Marsh. As John, Ta- uh, John Townsend went to town on him this week. Lived up to the first syllable of his last name. He, 
he basically said has has been in the role for a while, but has overseen some of the most baffling decisions in the history of Australian Test cricket. The Glenn Maxwell batting at three. Mm. The Nathan Lyon dropped after taking 13 wickets in his last test in India. Was that him or was that in Verity? Ooh, it might have been in Verity. But, all right, let, let me continue then. There. The Jackson Bird not being picked because he doesn't score enough runs. <laughs> I mean, there... That was... That was... I mean, that was the sure fault. The, the, Mitch, the Mitch Marsh, we picked a team for the first two tests. Oh, but by the way, we're then going to drop you after one test. The We're going to drop... Mitch Marsh and play Sean Marsh for the fourth Astros test. Like, just a number of baffling decisions. And no, I'm going to call them for what they are, shit decisions. Can I, can I, I just want to make this point. A lot of people like to slag Mitch Marsh off. I'm generally not one of these people. But for the record, they've dropped him twice. And what's happened both times yeah. they've dropped him? Rolled for less than 100. Rolled for less than 90. Bring that extra batsman in really yeah. did the job, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Particularly in the England one where it was yeah. Sean Marsh, who's someone who's known to be, you know, nervy hmm. and not, not a calm player. They told him 24 hours before the match, oh, by the way, it's the old Mark War. You're coming in for your brother. Yeah. Like, I just think, good riddance. But my biggest issue is we're going back to Trevor Holmes as the chairman. Can and I... we're bringing in Greg Chappell as the other selector. Where's the fresh blood? Where's the well, Chris Rogers? Where's the Simon Cadditch? I think that you, you nailed the point that I want to make. Where's the fresh blood? Yeah. James Sutherland, I'm looking right oh, at you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Quite frankly, you can fuck right off yeah. too. Yeah. Someone who, whose who's mealy mouth statements about, oh, test cricket is the pinnacle of the game. Is it really? Then why the fuck is the Australian team playing a T20 the day before we start a test series in India? And why did we just play five one-day internationals in South Africa when we should be here preparing oh, for Oh, that's the schedule. That's the schedule. Well, you're one of the big three. Change the schedule. Change the regulations that we're required to play five meaningless one days against them. And You're part of the powers that be. It's in your hands. Don't let me hear this shit that you're just having to bend over and take it. You can change it whenever you want. And um, I think Darren Lehman gets off a bit too light. Yes, too. someone who says, oh, we want players who move the game on and players who are attacking without actually having any real substance behind that statement. Mm. I mean, I think, I think Justin Langer is is probably one diabolical Test match away from becoming the national coach right now, or even Jason Gillespie. But would he want it? Uh, probably not. But... Yeah. I mean, I I think I think JL could well be um, coach before the Pakistan series if we get rolled in Adelaide, and I suspect we well, I mean, put it this way. We struggled against a moving ball at night against New Zealand last time around. This time around, we're up against three bowlers who average less than 23 for their careers. Mm. That's not going to end well. Yeah. And, yeah, as I say, I, I just think that... I mean, we had an interesting discussion about is Dave Warner the new Matthew Hayden? Well... That's a bit... That's a little unfair. On who? <laughs> on Warner. 
Come on, oh, no. <laughs> give me a break. Matthew Hayden's a fucktard. Um, he's, he's one... I mean, he is the reason we lost the 2005 Ashes, because we should have picked another opener with the initials MH. As much as everyone likes to talk about Glenn McGrath treading on a cricket ball costing us that series, Hussey had scored a triple century in first-class cricket for in English county cricket that year. Hayden had gone something like 11 innings without a half-century in test cricket. Why wasn't Huss in that side? He was the biggest. He was the biggest reason that we lost that 05 Ashes series. Him shitting the bed at number one, yeah. and Huss not playing instead. But I think Warner. The biggest criticism about Warner is that I wouldn't select him for a series in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. But he has. He has. He has performed well in Australia, and in South Africa, and right now he is close to our most consistent run scorer. Scorer, um, at least at home. So I think. He, it's yeah, it's a bit harsh on him. It's a lot of similarities, and you actually made the points for me. Well, uh, put it this way: When did he score a century in India? When did that happen? Hmm, when did he have one of the all-time great Test series in India? In fact, yeah. when did that happen? But you're saying, but this it didn't. Is, yeah, but, it didn't. And yet you're defending Warner. No, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like the comparison between the two, the. the I mean, oh. Matthew Hayden, the biggest call against him is he with had those good series, of, but he's, he's a fucktard. Well, with, the, with the exception of India, Matthew Hayden was a flat-track bully of the highest order. Yeah. And Dave Warner's career is certainly heading that way. Yeah. Yeah. But I... Th- Everyone likes to rip on David Warner as a T20... Uh, uh, the f- he's probably... Patient zero of the T20 pandemic. He's hardly the the biggest problem, anywhere near it. But I'm just saying that there's a lot of similarities between the And you're right. I'll I'll say you're right. I've completely fucked myself over with that Matthew Hayden comment. But I think, I mean, when was the last time that you saw David Warner... uh, You know what I mean. Anchor down. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, I mean, Warner carried his bat... Against New Zealand in Hobart, Warner, I think for all his for all his failings in the Northern Hemisphere, he was probably. It's harsh on Steve Smith because he scored a double ton, but he was probably our best batsman after Chris Rogers in the last Ashes series because at least he 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 made you know he made several half centuries. He never got that century. But he was very consistent at the top of the order. He was a bit like the Shane Watson of the of um, you know five or six years ago. Mm. He was making fifties and then getting out. But I think at least he sh- like when Steve Smith had that press conference and he said, "I want someone who's there to fight, who's in for the long haul." You know, who's someone? He's someone who respects the tradition of the baggy green. I actually think for all his failings, David Warner does do that. I mm. think he. He actually prioritises Test cricket above T20. Granted, he's probably one of the best natural players of T20 alongside Chris Gale that we've ever seen. I actually do think that he cherishes the Test, his baggy green above all else. Oh no, his OLED TV's got to be up. Oh there. yes, that's right. I love coming home on days four and five of the Hobart Test match. Yeah, you got to follow the bloke put on Twitter to get that reference, but that was a good call. I liked that one. But I think he is... He is someone... 
You can build a team around him. He just wouldn't be my captain, that's all. <laughs> and the thing is, he's a Steve Smith. Well, yeah. people, there are, I, I, I read stupid articles suggesting that Warner should be captain over Smith. That's heresy. I mean, really. I think, Smith, I mean, yeah. anyone who disagrees, yeah. go back. It'll only take you 90 minutes. Watch the first innings from the Hobart Test match. But I think more to the point, like, the thing that worries me about this is that I see, I see a lot of startling similarities between where we are now and where we were 30 or so years when ago. When AB took over. When Border took over. Yeah. yeah. And the, the thing is, is that they're, they're probably going to have to do a little bit of cycling. They're going to have to have the balls to do some cycling of players over the next two to three years to find out who's got the medal to, to stick it out and who hasn't. And I think that... When we say cycling, though, we do not mean picking Mitch Marsh for the first test of the series and then dropping him before no, the second. No, but But I think at the same time, they've got to almost... They're at, the, they're at the stage where they've got to look to build. So picking a 32-year-old Callum Ferguson over somebody like Peter Hanscom makes no sense whatsoever, they, given where they're at. They've selected themselves into a corner now because they've got two options. You stick fat with a guy who's going to be gone in five years or you drop someone after one bad test match. Yeah. And that's what that's And right. neither of those things are it's actually just good. Just like with Watson in the last Ashes series, you can question the selection of Mitch Marsh for the first test, but you cannot justify dropping him after one match of the summer. You just can't do mm. that. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's just stupid. Exacerbated by the fact that they then came out and made these noises about we've picked a test team for the first two matches of the series and then dropped him anyway. Can I, and there's what, just one more Mitch Marsh point that I want to make. I am incredibly frustrated that they, they've, they've been so stubborn on the fact that he has to bat at six. They should have tried him at seven. Swap him and Neville, see yep. what happens. Marsh is, they should get, and they should give Mitch Marsh the Adam Gilchrist, Quinton de Kock attack. What they role. should have done with Shane Watson. Yeah, just attack. Yep. Just attack. Come in and attack. Hit the ball. Yep. And you know what? It might look bad, and, and, and this is the thing like, people were quick to jump all over Warner for his first innings dismissal in Hobart. To quote what Kevin Peterson once said, that's the way he plays. Mm. If you want the rainbows, you've got to put up with the rain, as Dolly Parton once said. Mm. You, you know, this, this is, that's the basket you're putting your eggs in. I think you can't, you can't, ex, you know, you can't revel in the glory of David Warner's, you know, test match innings at Perth against India. Mm. Um, you, you know those sorts of knocks. You can't revel in that, and then abuse him for his dismissals in Hobart. No. And it sounds it sounds like I'm defending him. I'm not. It was an average shot to a ball he could barely reach. But that's what you you've got to like it or lump it. I mean, yeah. I might, here's here's my response to this, and I think I might be making the point for you here. I don't mind the intent. I have an issue with the shot selection. Yeah. It's not the right ball to be doing that too, but I can understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, here. and I, I just think right now, someone who's, as an opener, 
is averaging in the 40s in Test match cricket and is a one of arguably our most consistent batsmen after Smith in Australian conditions. He's not the problem. He's not the no. issue right now. Okay, Carp Blanche. Yeah. You're chairman of selectors. You're the sole selector. Yep. So you're picking your eleven for the okay. next match. Jackson Bird is in. Well, go one through. No, you, well, no, you, no, I'm going to pick my bowling attack first. Yep. Jackson Bird is in. Stark and Hazelwood aren't going anywhere. I don't like to say it, but Stephen O'Keefe comes in for Nathan Lyon hmm. because I, I'm just not seeing enough from him at the moment. Well, and he's he's the fact you pointed out in the last Test match, nine percent of his deliveries. We're going to hit the stumps. Yeah. For an off spinner, no, that's not acceptable. And Stephen O'Keefe, more than probably anyone else besides Sean Marsh, is something of a pink ball specialist. Yep. So that's my bowling attack. And I mean, look, my argument with Nathan Lyon is, is that they use the Jackson Bird doesn't score enough runs defence for bringing in many, but you could, why is Nathan Lyon exempt from that mm. same scenario? It just explains why the selection philosophy was just completely yeah. screwed basically. So those are my four bowlers. Yep. I'm sticking fat with Peter Neville. I don't care what people say about Matthew Wade coming He's, in. The thing about that is what alternative do they have there? I don't think that they Matthew have a Wade. Really, I don't, yeah, they, so they don't have an alternative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, part of the original triumvirate of cockheads, him, Clark and Warner. I mean... Really? Really? We're going to recycle someone who... I mean, fine, he might be able to average high 30s with the bat, but he can't catch. Yeah. He's, he's got arguably the worst wicket-keeping technique of any Australian keeper in history. I'm trying to think of one that I've seen that I rate less. And for, yep. the, and for the record, what did I used to do when I played cricket? Yeah, keep. Yep. <laughs> so I feel like I have a reasonable feel on, yeah. on that. Uh, yeah, so Neville. Neville's my keeper. Yeah, oh, he's he's been a bit maligned as well. He's actually shown oh, some fight in several last, situations. Yeah, his last innings in the Perth Test match, he he played a couple of rear guards in the last Ashes series as well. He, he and this is what and I'm he talking tried about. To, and him and O'Keefe tried to bat a game out in Sri Lanka as well. This is what I'm talking about. Someone who's got some ticker. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing you're talking about. The Eagles midfield, you know. Mm. Someone who you know will, you know, blood, sweat and tears, they'll give it for the baggy green. And he's not going to be pissing off to play in any IPL for, you know, 500 grand a year. He's committed to the baggy green. So I need to pick six batsmen. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Well, there's probably three that pick themselves. And first well, of all, them coming out and saying Kawaja wasn't no. uh, a, a certainty for this next test is crazy, isn't it? They said before this test match, I know we talked about this, so I'm going to repeat myself here. On ABC yeah. News, they said there are only four batsmen, and William's arcing up because he knows how ridiculous... Not four batsmen, four players. Sorry, sorry, four players. There are four players who are guarantees for the next test. And I just turned to Dad and I said, well, shit, who out of Warner, Smith, Kawaja, Stark and Hazelwood is not in that list? And then they left out hey, uh, Kawaja. I mean, he made 97. That's more than we made in the first innings in Hobart. He made 57 in the second innings in Hobart. Yes, he got worked over on the third morning and eventually dismissed, but he scored some fucking runs. He scored a half century. That's what we're hanging out for right now. So you're right. Warner, Smith, 
and Kawaja, they all pick themselves. I need three more batsmen. Yep. I'm going to go a little controversial here. Callum Ferguson gets another test because I do not think you can drop someone after one test. Mm. I will I, give him a second test. I, I'd agree with that. I think that he's probably lucky enough to stay in he purely needs, because Vo just got injured. Yeah, he, that does contribute to that. But I'm, I'm just not a believer in dropping someone after one test, including one where he was... I mean, yes, it was a run out, but a direct... A, ridiculous direct hit from a guy who was only brought on as a substitute fielder. Gary Pratt likes this message. Mm. I mean, he was unlucky to be run out. Yes, in that situation, he shouldn't have been coming back for a second, but I feel it's way too harsh on the guy to drop him after one bad test. Mm. So I need to pick two more batsmen. One of them needs to be an opener. Well, not necessarily, but... Who am I going to open with? Well, you might put Kawaja in as an opener, maybe. I don't like that. Because um, the funny thing is, is that I think Smith bats better at three. I. Well, let me say one, and this is going to be easy, but the bloke who's just made a double century, you can't not pick him. So yeah. Peter Hanscom gets a game. Peter Hanscom should have got a game like at the start of the series. Over Mitch Marsh. No, I think, to be honest, this is going to be controversial as well. I over Adam Voges. Ooh, yeah. And you know what? I'll, I'll take a step back. Someone should have got a game over Voges last year when we were filling our boots against New Zealand and the West Indies. Mm. The same reason why Voges is going to um, be consigned to the dustbin of Test match history is the bloke with the... Is it second or third? Second. He's still second. Yeah, second best average for anyone who's scored over 1,000 Test runs. Better average than Headley. Better average than Sutcliffe. Better average, better average than Pollock. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pick Hanscom. Yep. And this is where people are going to have a go at me. And it's probably more an indication that we should have got test matches into him by now. Cameron I'm going to Bancroft. pick Cameron Bancroft to open alongside David Warner. And the reason I like that is not only because I think he's shown he can, well, for starters, score runs in India, and fuck, we're going to need that in three months' time. But I like him as a foil to Warner as well. I think he will play a very similar role to what Chris Rogers used to do. Mm. Almost a, you know, one end of the extreme, uh, one extreme to the other of the spectrum. I like him in there alongside... David Warner, and I think as someone who's a young bats, and then this is where people say, well, you know, what about Curtis Patterson then? You know, what what about... Um, Travis Dean. What about Travis Dean? What about Nick Maddinson? What about these guys? What about for Marcus the, Renshaw? Yeah, for the test team, oh. I'd rather go all in on Bancroft as an opener. Yeah, the issue that you have with Bancroft at the moment is unfortunately he's horribly out of form. Yeah. I can understand the thinking, but yeah. But you, yeah, somebody who's actually willing to, to well, for lack of a better phrase, anchor down. Yeah. Yeah. So that, question asked, question answered, that would be my team. So no Mitch Marsh. Well, he's injured. <laughs> if he was fit? If he was fit, then I wouldn't have dropped him for the last test and I would have based my decision on how he performed at Hobart. Yeah. So it, it, I oh, know you, you. You can have a go at me. I'm having a bob. Um, having a bob each way there, 
But I think he was on the cusp of being dropped anyway. The one thing I wouldn't have done, particularly given they came out and said we're picking a test for the uh, side for the first two tests, I wouldn't have dropped him after one test. Mm. I think he was far from our worst in Sri Lanka. He showed yeah. really strong resolve in a couple of innings, and I really value his bowling as well. He's a bit like the Shane Watson. What he brings with the ball is is arguably more valuable than what he brings with the bat. And he wasn't our worst in the first test either. Oh, far from it. Far from it. He actually got a really, really bad decision. Yep. So that so that's my team. So if you you're in the same position, are you are you picking Renshaw then or? I'd have to have a bit more of a think about the, that opening oh, spot. So you put me on the spot, but you you don't want to sit on the fence. I, I wouldn't pick Bancroft. I'd probably look at. I I haven't seen enough of Renshaw or so Dean. So who's going to open then? It would be either Renshaw or Dean. Mm. Okay, I haven't had enough of. I'd probably pick Dean. Dean's been making order runs as well. Um, and I, I, I worry with him is have he, has he really shown enough to warrant? And this is. But can the, I, can we just take a step back? This is the biggest problem with Australian cricket right now. Where are the Jamie Siddons? Where are the Martin Loves? Where are the Michael Hussies? Where are the blokes who are where, putting together where's, where's thousand the, run seasons in Shield yeah. cricket? Where are the Philip Hugheses? Where's the, where are the blokes with no Test average? Yeah, where are the guys? Yeah, well, who but I mean, should be banging down the door for test this, selection and was, just aren't scoring enough runs? Here's the thing: this was where we were at. I mean, Stephen War got picked in the test team based off a of 71 that he hit in a Shield final. Mm. He hadn't made a century when he played his first game for Australia. Yeah, we're in it. The problem that we have is is that our system is so inherently rooted at the moment <laughs> that these guys don't don't exist. Mm. Yeah, well, and that would be, and that's another reason why I picked Bancroft because I think he's the closest one we've got to that right now. So that would be my team. There it is. Have have at me, internet. Hit me up at Dan the Action Man on Twitter and let me know why I'm full of shit. But I think that for starters, the Jackson Bird one, I still my head is still spinning like a dreidel in a sandstorm over that one. How the bloke who took. Three wickets per innings in the first Shield game before this season and was arguably our best bowler in New Zealand. How he got dropped for not scoring enough runs is just is beyond me. I yeah. don't understand. And that is the biggest reason why I greeted the news of Rod Marsh's retirement with nothing but unbridled glee. I think for that call alone, he should have been turfed. A rather controversial omission from the Bloke Pot archives at this point is our Leon Davis medalist from 2000. Who? <laughs> no one other than you. <laughs> Good enough for me. Yeah. Our Leon Davis medalist for the 2016 Grand Final. And look, this was a competitive fear. Pretty much yeah. anyone in a red and white jumper would have made a decent. So I, I, I was firstly uh, contemplating Kurt Tippett, but then thought it wasn't fair to include somebody who didn't play. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, um, but look, it, I think the deciding factor was not only did he shit the bed himself, but he also completely nullified his team's best player, <laughs> the Buddy Franklin ankle injury. <laughs> 
Yeah. That was inflicted by 2016 Leon Davis medal Hewitt. winner, George Hewitt. George Hewitt. So Timo rightfully pointed out after the game, as we, as we, we were tossing up a few different players, and then we watched a replay of the Franklin injury, and Timo went, oh, I think that was Hewitt who he's tripped over as well. <laughs> so it, it had to be him after that. Yeah. It's like, not only did you shit the bed, but you also, yeah, robbed your team of its best player. So congratulations, joining such luminaries as I feel bad to say now, but Jared Ruffin, he's in there. Jack Darling. Hayden Ballantyne, the entire Port Adelaide team. Mm. Um, Sam Butler and Michael Gardner, I believe we, we gave it, uh, I think we called it a tie that year. Yeah. Um, Leon Davis, a, a number of times, uh, countless yeah. times, two countless to count. Jack, Jack uh, Darling, of course, in we, 2015. Said that. Uh, <laughs> what is it with people repeating themselves today? <laughs> well, we can't get a word in over you at the moment, so. <laughs> well, I'm the only one who remembers all these counts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, it, but, of um, course, J Pod being the inaugural. Oh yes, J, the only guy to ever win it. Um, it's, yeah. like him going off the field was what won his team that grand final. So, which yeah, we, I, I don't think guy, was. But... I don't think. Well, obviously, we won't see that repeated with the scrapping of the yeah. sub, but. Uh, I don't. That would Mind be a hard. Sean Makers gets injured in the grand final next year. That could, we could be seeing history repeating right there. Yeah, I don't think he'll afford to make it the grand no, final next no, year. No, he won't. But I, but I had to use the Sean Makers example because it was the obvious one. <laughs> so congratulations, George so, Hewitt. And, and on that note, shall we get in some early predictions for next year? I think. Can I actually? I'm going to call it right now. GWS. Jeez, that's hardly what, controversial. No, no. Listen, let me. I'm gonna let you finish. GWS will lose the grand final next year. That's what I'm calling. So mm-hmm. they will. They will do a West Coast in '91, a Fremantle in 2013. They will make their first grand final as probably the best team all season, and they will be completely overawed, and they will lose the grand final next year. Not quite sure who it's going to be against, but they will lose the grand final next year. You heard it here first. So you're gonna put some uh, money down on that? I don't think I can. How do you put How do you put money down on the runner-up? <laughs> I don't think that's possible, unfortunately. Tab touch. Get back at me about that one. <laughs> minor, minor premiers and losing the granny. You're saying? Yeah. Is that, that your call? Yeah, that's my call. Well, you could probably get odds on minor premiers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, it'd, it'd probably only be like three dollars fifty. So can I can I make a controversial call right here? Here you go. Western Bulldogs to Missy O. Oh, the Hawthorne 2009 Hangover Edition. <laughs> nice. Yep. I think everything broke perfectly for them this year. <laughs> Next year, everything will just break. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's well, my, there's my big call. Premiers to Missy O. And also, I'm just going to give myself a shout out. Sam Mitchell will win the Brownlow Medal in 2012. As I predicted, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's four, year, it's five years too late, just about. But I called it. I called it. Can we? Do we want to talk about that? No, I, I, not really. No. How about, <laughs> do you reckon Joe Watson got the tap on the shoulder saying, "You can do the right thing here and give it back, or we can just take it off you. It's your call." Jump will be pushed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Trent Cotchin's trade value probably just went up quite a bit. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sam Mitchell's remains rooted at pick 88. Yes. 
Well, we've worked out you forgot the two pick upgrades in the third and fourth round. It's actually oh, more yeah. in the oh, it's yeah, more great. in the low seventies, but uh, oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I couldn't be happier with how that went. You better be a fucking awful coach for them, Mitch. <laughs> like I'm talking Peter Sumich levels of horribleness here. <laughs> well, Peter, Peter Sumich was a coach of the West Coast Eagles midfield in the mid 2000s. So oh yeah, I'd be very careful what uh, I was. Oh saying, uh, yeah, because I'm sure that has so much to do with him. Yeah, yeah. it was definitely him. You know, having Judd Cousins and Kerr, that was a group that really needed to be coached. <laughs> right there. God damn. And, uh, well, look, and, the only good uh, news is, is that Andrew Embley's become a Claremont coach, so we won't have to listen to his shit commentary for the Waffle next year. Replaced by Dennis Cometti. <laughs> Booyah! Trading up, commentary style. And Daniel like Chick searching for a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> <laughs> Go fund me. I thought it was called meth. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Uh, the the bloke on legal team have just started gesticulating towards yeah, me. Yeah, that's, as that's per not usual. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. But we do have to read the uh, the awesome post on his GoFundMe page yeah. from, from Ben Cousins, but probably not Ben Cousins. Oh, I think it, it sounds like hilarious. him. It'd be hilarious if it was. So, here we go. Just give me a second. Oh, GJ, this is just the sort of... There will now be a brief pause as GJ loads the comments on Big Footy. <laughs> bow, da, ba, bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop and come back. Page has finally loaded. Here we go. From Ben Cousins. Hey, Chicky, you spotted me a lot of eight balls over our journey together, so the least I can do is drop a fiver on you. <laughs> Sorry it's not more, but window washing isn't paying too well at the moment. Benny Cars. <laughs> I, I just love the drop a fiver on you. <laughs> That's a great phraseology there. And to quote the poster here as well, whoever did this is a legend. <laughs> Could not agree yeah, more. I couldn't agree with me more on that one. <laughs> and just for the record, Chicky wants 20 grand for a hyperbaric chamber when you can buy one for about eight. So where do you reckon the other 12's going? I believe I already covered this and the legal team have once again indicated I'm not allowed to say. I'm guessing... It starts with M and rhymes with death. <laughs> I'm guessing he's going to the local Pop Black to pick up a few eight balls. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah he loves himself some pool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough slander for this episode. Jackson Howe. While well, I'm one of my pet hates... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Why? But statistics oh. in sports coverage... Yeah, the, now, the the movie Moneyball has uh, just... It's, it's, it's fucked up us statisticians and sports fans forever. At the moment, Channel 9 have a new innovation for their season of uh, 2016-17 test match coverage. It's, hey, rather than showing you someone's bowling average, we're going to show you what they average against right-handed batsmen and left-handed batsmen. Rather than showing you someone's batting average, we're going to show you what they average against fast bowlers and spin bowlers. Now, what I'd love to see is someone like Rick Finlay, who works for the ABC, he's their stats guru, who actually sits behind the scenes and says, all right, here are the statistics. Let's look at what actually is meaningful. Add something to the narrative here, and let's show that up. If someone averages 11 against right-handers and 40 against left-handers as a bowler, 
then yes, show me that statistic. That tells me something. And, if someone and make aver- sure he's not bowling to the left yeah, hand. Yeah, fucking get him off if Warner's <laughs> out there. If someone's averaging 20 against fast bowlers and 70 against spinners, then yes, show me that statistic and add something. But all they're doing at the moment is they're just saying, we've added a new breakdown to our statistics. What does telling me that someone averages 25 against left-handed batsmen and 29 against right-handed batsmen tell me that you wouldn't be able to tell me by just saying his test bowling average is 27? It's the same with Channel 7 and the last 10 goals scored. It's, oh, a team may have scored six in a row, or the last five goals have gone one one team, one to the other, alternated, but we've decided we're going to show you the last 10 goals no matter what story is told in that 10-goal period. If the last seven goals have told a story, or the last four goals have told a story, then show me seven goals or four goals. Don't just give me a statistic already broken down by a predetermined number or a predetermined left hand versus right hand, fast versus spin, and expect it to tell you a story. Put some more thought behind what you're actually using those statistics to say. I'm quite finished. David King, you suck. Oh, 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 chief scientist, David King. Uh, the best tweet I read was everyone at CSIRO just died a little inside knowing that David King is also now a scientist. <laughs> While I'm on... Uh, yes, thank you, William. While I'm on a bit of a rant roll here... As opposed to a Rick roll. Can I can I give a giant F you to the United States? Oh. Well why man? For we got <laughs> to we, we'd like to congratulate them for, for finally confirming to, them, to one and all their out and out stupidity. By well, vote. Look, I, I, and, and I I'm just gonna say it's a, it's also a rather massive blow to the feminist <laughs> movement because they would rather pick a misogynistic racist who grabs by the pussy. He's really getting arced, huh? Yeah. He voted for Hillary. Yeah. But I just think, for me, it's more... It's a repudiation of political correctness. That, at its core, it's... People would rather vote for someone who's genuine, even if he's a genuine asshole, than someone who's pretending to be something they're not because it tested better with the focus groups. And I think that's a real lesson... I mean, we've seen it with Clive Palmer. We've seen it with Nick Xenophon. We've seen it with Pauline Hanson. People who actually come out, say what they mean and mean what they say, they're, they're ahead right now of the political establishment who are so concerned with, how can I spin this? What do the focus groups say? What's the message? What are the three-word slogans? You know, what's the key talking points we want to get across here? Like, they interviewed John Howard and Paul Keating about it, and it was like... I don't think there's anyone, probably not even Turnbull, who could just sit there and talk like a human being about the issues like this in politics anymore. Either they'd be too stupid to, or they'd be too concerned about saying something wrong and pissing off half the electorate that they wouldn't come out and just have an opinion. Like, we miss... Uh, I, I mean, I'm not... A, I'll, I'll come out and say I'm a Liberal voter, but someone like Paul Keating who just comes out and has an opinion, stands by it. I mean, even John Howard said, you know, I've said I thought Trump's presidency was a bad idea. I'm not going to back away from that. I'm going to stand by what I believe in. Mm. And he, he went to an election and lost because he stood by what he believed in in work choices. Where's that actual commitment to ideology 
and a policy plan in today's politicians. They'll flip-flop all over the shop if they think it'll get them a bounce in the polls. They don't actually stand for anything. They're all straw men. It's so disappointing that it's the death of the statement statesman in Australian politics. The nearest thing we have to it right now is Pauline Hanson, who just sits there and is a racist and a xenophobe. But because she at least stands for something and won't waver on that, she gets votes. It's very disappointing. So I actually think, yeah, it's... I wouldn't exactly call Trump a, someone who sticks and sticks to. He's, uh, his yeah, campaign think... was, was full of flip-flops. I think he's more genuine, though. People believe they what they see is what they get more with him than they did with Hillary. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tweet of the day... No, no wonder the far left don't want a plebiscite on same-sex marriage after the polling translating to result of Brexit and Trump versus Clinton. <laughs> and the two big messages that we've learnt from, from this. In, in instances where there are two options, <laughs> a, a stay or leave, a Trump or Clinton, and the polls got it completely wrong. Completely wrong. Well, yeah, but I, I'd like to uh, shout out to one of my colleagues who got on Trump at sixes about... Uh, about three months ago. I don't know why I didn't. Because I remember I'd, I'd said to you the whole time, even after the grabbing by the pussy, I thought he might have blown. But I thought the whole time that Trump would win, purely because he was the original Texas fan. Nothing stuck to him at all. It's like, yes, I'm a horrible person, but I've been on reality TV for the past 20 years. So, <laughs> come vote for me. <laughs> uh.